Late, late night with Rick and Rick. We're going <laughs> to right. do these more often if it goes all right. That's right. But we don't know how our chemistry is, really, so that's okay. Um, all right, here's what we want to do with this. 20 minutes of just some stuff to start the conversation on um, and give you just some, some helpful things that we think about as it pertains to sexuality in the Bible and, like, what does God really think about all that? What's he say about it? Culture certainly says a lot about it. You probably think things about it, but like I already said um, earlier, I know the Bible talks about it. How do I talk about it, for one, if I don't struggle with this in terms of same-sex attraction? If I do, then I'm even more curious, right, of how to think about it. So a couple of, like, resources we just want to plug before we dive in. A ton of what you're going to hear tonight straight up is coming from the breakout at conference last year that Mark Vance gave. He did our fall retreat. It is a phenomenal, he prepped way harder for that than we did for this, I assure you. But then we were able to just take a lot of his good stuff. So you can listen to that or go to the conference breakout this upcoming week that's probably going to be on this as well. So that is like number one, but there's some books here. I didn't mention this in my sermon, but Seven Myths About Singleness is a fantastic book. This was required reading for staff at one point. Um, it just walks through seven myths about singleness, Sim, you know, not a, not a sermony format like I just did, but in some chapters to, to digest and wrestle with. It is so good whether you um, yeah, are discontent or not in your singleness. Sam Albury is the guy that writes that book. A guy that struggled with same-sex attraction for his whole life is single, uh, but is totally just a, an embodiment of what it looks like to live how God's designed and do a lot with your life, um, you know, despite some of the, the things you struggle with. And then he also has a little tiny resource called Is God Anti-Gay? Okay, pretty catchy title. Uh, this will really help you grasp with, like, what does the Bible actually say? What are the verses? Because we're only going to cover really one of them um, tonight. And then there's other people like Jackie Hill Perry, a more extensive resource called Holy Sexuality in the Gospel by a guy named Chris Yuan. Um, and so our goal, again, is just to start a conversation and not avoid um, something that you maybe thought about, even as we covered 1 Corinthians 6 and 7. Um, and how does just the idea of homosexuality fit into what we've been teaching on, what we've been walking through, what you've been thinking? I feel like, you know, maybe you're thinking, I feel same-sex attraction. Is that a sin? What does the Bible say? Can someone be attracted to the same sex and follow Jesus? All stuff I've said. Let's dive in. Eric, where do we begin? Well, can I just say quick, I think, too, like... I don't think you said this, but I think this is like actually for our generation, like one of maybe, if not the defining issue for the church right now, like I, you're going to have to talk about it at some point. So you need to know, like, where, where do you stand on it? Where's the Bible stand on it? What does it say? Because you're, you're going to have to talk about it and you're probably going to be asked about it at some point if you want to live on mission for Jesus Christ. So I just want to say that, like, this is a, a defining issue that you need to yeah. You really need to, like, yeah. encounter it. And, um, where should we start? Let's start with... Uh, How about well, on your point of just, like, you're going to be asked about it? That is so true. I'm literally asked about this all the time as a pastor. This is, like, sometimes the first thing people want to know. The question I get all the time, are you gay affirming? What do I do? What do you do? Right? Maybe you've been asked this question, and you're like, I don't even know. It's all, I don't know what's all going to be released. That's why we're talking about it here tonight. Okay? Someone comes to me like, hey, is there... Is that a gay-friendly church? Here's my answer. This isn't in our notes, but I feel like it's a common enough question. It would be helpful for you to know. Yeah, Jesus Christ was the friend of sinners, 
And so as a follower of him, I want to be a friend of every single human being that's on the face of this planet. So absolutely, you're welcome at Saw Company. Okay, some, some simple truth statements that they're coming at you with a loaded question. And here's what's loaded behind that question. I want to know if you fall in one of two camps. And I want to put you in one of them right now and feel which one you're in. Either you're in the hate and ostracized camp, which means if you're not totally affirming of my lifestyle, then you must hate me and want to ostracize me. Okay, that's one camp. The other camp is you need to celebrate and affirm and love me and everything that I want to do, right? And so they're trying to get to which camp are you in with that question, and it leaves no room for this middle ground. And here's the middle ground I want you to operate inside of as a Christian. This is something Mark talked about on his thing, is this area of conviction and compassion. As a Christian, there's no room for hatred, but there's also not, not room to just be like, yeah, like whatever you want to do, that's what you should do, right? That's, that's totally not... Uh, either lane that we want to run in. At Saw Company, we want to operate by convictions. We want to let the, the truths of God that we see in the Bible guide us because we need a guide and we don't trust culture to be our guide. And yet we want to have deep, deep, deep compassion for every single human being made in the image of God that struggles with every single thing under the sun. And so maybe what you need to hear tonight, and I, I want to be pretty, pretty frank with some things I say to the, the group of people in here that don't struggle with same-sex attraction. Like, I think, if anything, the culture is for sure missed against that group in the hate and ostracized camp. And so I, I do think some correction is needed to say, hey, you actually need to learn how to talk about this in a way that doesn't sound anything like hatred, okay? And one of the things that helped me the most in my life was I sit, sat down with a guy who's super godly. He's preaching on an embassy this Sunday, Troy Nesbitt, sitting one-on-one -on -one in his office, and he just kind of had a bone to pick. You know, he had just had a conversation, and I was in his office you know, getting just the gold from his brain. And he looked at me and he said, Derek, have you ever struggled with same-sex attraction? No one's like literally ever asked me that straight up before. I was like, honestly, no. He said, well, do you think you could or will? I said, oh, I mean, I'm 25. Like, I, no, no, I don't think, you know, I, my brain can conceive of like that being a struggle in the future. So I said, no. He said, that belief is the biggest thing keeping you from loving anybody that does struggle with that sin is you think that, but for the, you got to believe that but for the grace of God, you would and could struggle with that sin, particular sin that we're talking about here. You have got to start to believe in your core. It's only by the grace of God that you don't struggle with that particular sin and start to treat every other sin that you do struggle with as one in the same, as we're going to see in 1 Corinthians 6. And so that's just the, the place we want to start. Um, yeah, that's good. I don't have anything to add to that. But great. let's keep moving. I think, uh, like, one of the questions that uh, people come in is, like, okay, first off, like, what does the Bible say about this? Um, and, I mean, there's five places in the Bible that are where it's actually explicitly talked about. But I think the other question is, like, okay, if there's only five, and they use the word only, like, there's only five places the Bible talks about this, like, why is it? Why is it that big of a deal, right? Like, shouldn't there be more about it? And then we would make a big deal about it. Um, and I just want to say, like, I, I, you could not have any of these five passages in the Bible, and you could still have a really compelling, biblically grounded view for what marriage is. I think we start in Genesis 1 all the way at the beginning um, when God is, you know, he creates Adam, and then he says, it's not good for man to be alone. He creates Eve, and he creates this marriage and he says, this is good. And so we see that God, like, it's one man, one flesh for, forever. You know, that's like 
what God created, what he intended. There was one an man, order one to it. woman, one flesh. What did I say? Life. Just one man forever. <laughs> <laughs> That's but bad yeah, advice. I'll yeah, see you yeah. later. That, like, is you need a biblical vase for what is, what he's saying is the biblical picture that we have, even if we don't have any of these five verses that talk explicitly about homosexuality, is one man, one woman for life. Uh, one man, one woman, one flesh for life. That's this picture of marriage. And it's in Genesis 1 and it's in Revelation 19. It's like marriage is central to like this idea. It helps us really understand this picture of the gospel in a complementary way. So if we didn't have any verses that talk about homosexuality, it's not like we would be lost of like, you know, what does creation tell us and what does the rest of the pages of scripture tell us and promote? There's zero passages in any, anywhere in scripture that deny that one man, one woman, one flesh forever sort of picture, right? I think, yeah, the, and the other thing is like, okay, so like, why is there still like questioning about like, what does the Bible actually say? Or like, why do we see churches that fall on certain sides of that spectrum? Um, and I think like, the reality is for like, literally 2,000 years, the church has believed this, one man, one woman, one flesh for life. Like, that is what the church has believed and taught. Um, More like 1,950 years. 1,950 if you want to get exact. Yeah. Like, that's what the church believed, and that's what the church taught, and it, it wasn't like, ah, oh, maybe, maybe, like, maybe you could interpret it this way. It's just like, that was the way it was, and it actually wasn't until the 20th century when, like, culture, you know, the, the LGBTQ movement and social activism and this all kind of started to like really get, like go off in our culture, that that was when people then started to go back to the Bible and say, well, does it like really say that? Or like, are we really reading it right? And actually, if you think about it, it's like it wasn't anything with the text originally that made them go, maybe we were wrong. It's actually culture saying like, you shouldn't believe that. You're wrong for believing that, that then made people go, well, like, maybe we should revisit that. So it's, it's not the Bible. It was culture that made us kind of go back and, and look at that. I think that's important to note. Yep. Yeah, there's a pressure, right? Culture has weight. Like, culture has power. There's, there's a pressure uh, when we feel that sort of thing. And, but, yeah, it, there wasn't, like, a new discovery of, like, a Greek word or anything like that. Um, but let's look at 1 Corinthians 6 since it's applicable to our series. And, honestly, my favorite and most helpful verse, I think, if you got a Bible, 1 Corinthians 6 more so that the text we taught on last week, but right before it. 1 Corinthians 6, um, 9 through 11. This is actually, so after that conversation with Troy, um, it was really a God-ordained moment where I was sitting at BioLife, and a guy next to me literally just started chatting me up, right? I'm a terrible evangelist, so I should be sharing my faith with every person I meet. But this guy starts talking to me, and he's just like weirdly saying stuff like, man, I just like, yeah, I don't, you're, you're like in ministry or whatever, blah, I don't know. I must have said something that I was a Christian. And uh, he's like, I've been really questioning things about God lately. And we got each other's numbers. It was like this really weird thing because this guy struggled with same-sex attraction. And that was really one of the things I could tell he really wanted to talk to me about as he was wrestling with what he thought about God. And so here I am having this conversation with Troy feeling like, yeah, but by grace, like, we're, you know, every single person under the sun, the Bible couldn't be more clear, is a sinner, Right? And here's what 1 Corinthians 6 says about sin and various types of sin in uh, verse 9. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? So when we get to heaven, there will not be any unrighteous people there, okay? Don't be deceived. Verse, well, still verse 9. No sexually immoral people, no idolaters, no adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, 
Verbally abusive people or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. Okay. Verse 11 is the hope for the unrighteous. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What does that mean? Every single person has to become righteous in order to enter the gates of heaven. And it only happens via one way. Jesus Christ has to wash you, sanctify you, justify you, and that is how you become right with God. And so no matter what you've done to turn your back on God, small or big, we've all sinned in millions of tiny ways. Paul's saying, don't be deceived. No sinner, no unrighteous person goes to heaven because if it's based on merit, we're all guilty. That's like one of the fundamental things of Christianity, right? And so he says, no sexually immoral people. I love how he leads with this. Like, no sexually immoral people are going to heaven. That is every single person in this room. You have for sure had a a sexual thought, sin, that made you turn your back on Jesus and think, ah, okay, we're all in this list. Even though he says some of you, it's because the list isn't, like, extensive. He doesn't list every single sin, right? But anyone that struggles with these sins that he does mention, he says some of you, but you were washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so certainly in there, the the key Greek words that we have going on that talk about homosexuality and same-sex attraction is males who have sex with males. Okay, point out, like, what's significant about this wording and even why we have it worded. Your Bible may say something differently. That's how the CSB translates it. What's significant about that Greek language? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's specifically... It's the action that it talks about, you know, and uh, also James. I'm not going to try to quote it because I'm not going to say it right. Do you know? I will. Yeah. Okay, great. There's an interesting thing in James where it talks about the difference between desire, like temptation, and overt sin. So what James says is des- desire, when it conceives, gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Okay, so we see this like trans transition from the desires that I have that are broken because of the sin curse that's in me leads to the sins that I now act out in my daily life, which if I take those fully into completion only leads to death and destruction for me. So there's a difference, biblically speaking, between desire and activity. And that's the key with this Greek is it is such an action-oriented word. This word, it, 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 it's really explicit. Like it talks about like the giving and receiving nature of a sexual activity happening in a bed between two males, okay? It can't get any more action than that. What it doesn't say, and what would be a terrible translation if your Bible says this, is no homosexuals. I think, and you'll hear pastors make a different argument about, like, you know, desire being a thing that's condemning, but I can't, there's certain desires I have that I, I like, really can't control. And so it's my belief that same-sex attraction is legitimate struggle for about 3%, if you look at the studies of people that are being truthful, about 3% of people, like, same-sex attraction is just a thing. I'm attracted to the same sex. Why, God? Why? And there's a difference between the desire for something and the action. This is true of anything, right? If I want to cheat on Sydney, that is a different thing, and I, I should still address that thing, but that is a totally different thing than me just sleeping with someone else. If I want to murder someone, that's not, like, the best thing I could feel, but that is completely different in the eyes of law and everyone in here than actually taking a knife to someone's face and killing them. Okay? You get the point. There's a difference between action and desire, and this verse is clearly talking about 
the action, the follow-through of the way that I feel and being unrestrained in that behavior is completely different than the way that I feel. To just live in unrepentant activity of sin is completely different than to be born a certain way and feel a certain thing. You can, you can absolutely bring that desire under the lordship of Christ and live a holy and flourishing lifestyle according to this verse, okay? That's 1 Corinthians 6. That's all we have time for. The other verses are Genesis 19, Leviticus 18 and 20. That's we count as one. Romans 1, great one. This one, and then 1 Timothy 1. Is God anti-gay a great resource? We need to, yeah, do anything with that. Great. We have just the right amount of time left. We're not going to do Q&A, just so you know. We want to start a conversation. We, we hope this gives you, like, some confidence in conversation yourselves. But let it lead to conversation with your campus group leader, if you're a leader with your discipleship leader, if you have more questions, like I'm around, I'm available, I just don't want to take so much of everyone's time, but we just want to speak to the two parties in this room right now, which is the person that doesn't struggle and say some final words, and then the, the people that do struggle with this. So the person that doesn't struggle, what you need to hear loudest from us probably tonight is there is absolutely zero hate inside Christian, zero room for hate inside Christianity, right? Like, if you automatically are repulsed by homosexual sin in a way that you're not repulsed by heterosexual sin, that is wrong. That is a problem. It should absolutely be the same in our eyes that there's people that sleep with their girlfriends and are males. That should be the exact same thing as homosexual sin that's happening on our campus, in our community. Like, there, there literally, there was a story of a mom in one of these books then the, the mom had two sons one living with his girlfriend totally un, like unrepentant towards his heterosexual lifestyle and his her other son who was had a boyfriend and she was just weeping to her pastor about her son that had a boyfriend please help him why and her other son has heterosexual sin aplenty that's where the church has missed that is an error that is wrong that is crushing the three percent and causing way more problems than it is solving anything so there's zero room for you to hold those in any yeah, difference. I also think, like, exactly what you said tonight, like, there, there's not room for, like, the idea that, like, you need sex or marriage to be a whole person. Like, it's kind of what you're talking about tonight. Like, I think when we, like, bolster that view as Christians in the church, like, we don't just do harm to people that, like, are single and want to be married or, married, you know, whatever. Like, we're not do just doing harm to them. We're also doing harm to this person who might feel same-sex attracted and, like, they might realize, like, I will never feel attracted to someone of an opposite sex. And so, like, we're also doing harm to them by bolstering this view of, like, marriage and sex. It will make you whole because they realize, like, well, then great. I, I'll never get that. and I'll never be whole. And that's, you know, I mean, that's dangerous, too. Totally. And even that, there's, like, practical stuff. Like, what do I, you know, if I'm same-sex attracted, which we're not to that group yet. But it's, like, you can absolutely pray for God to change your desires. I'm not saying, like... You, he has no guarantee to answer that prayer, right? But even if he doesn't, I still know married couples that it's like that was a thing from day one where it's like we understand love is deeper than sexual intimacy, and I actually have a real friendship with you, this phileo-type love that is, is real, and I think the more of a bedrock than even sexual intimacy to a relationship. So would you even enter into like a dating relationship with me and see if we could take this thing into marriage even though I don't sexually feel anything towards you in this moment? And we're clear about that? Like that's a, even a real possibility. Okay, but it's also a possibility, like you're saying, that singleness is just a longer journey for you. That doesn't mean you're not a whole person. We're already talking to that group. Here's the last things for the people that don't struggle. But for grace, you would too. 
you interact with someone that does struggle for them, listen, cry, enter in, don't be afraid of the darkness, move into that. That's what compassion entails, okay? Be willing to just, it, oh, I'm not really versed on what the Bible says about this. I don't feel good talking about it. That's okay. Listen, cry, enter in. Start to learn what it looks like to live with both conviction, both truth, but also grace and compassion. And then finally, just absolutely treat all sexual sin as sexual sin. You know, it's, it's all heterosexual, homosexual, doesn't matter. Yeah, and kind of like with that too, obviously we want to have that. Like it's a balance too and like, it's not okay to also just like completely be silent on this topic. And I think we see that in the church a lot where it's like, it's just not talked about because it's not comfortable. And I think as Christians living in our culture, like we need to be willing. I mean, don't obviously like probably lead with that. Um, but like, it's, it's not enough to be silent. We have to at some point say what we actually think on the topic um, and, and just know that like, yeah. there's going to be some things that are going to run across the grain of culture yeah. in life. Yeah, sometimes like the worst thing we can do is just rule someone out from God's grace because of their perceived sin struggle. What if we did that with everyone? Like none of us would be Christians, right? And so it's like, oh, I know they struggle with this. So that's going to be a real sticking point for me to like, like they can't become a Christian if they don't drop all their sin immediately at the door. It's like that's literally never how it happens. First the gospel gets in, Jesus becomes real and more beautiful than any sin, and it starts to fall away. So lead with the gospel no matter who you're talking to, and don't just think, oh, because of a person's sin, you know. Like if you do struggle with this, I, I'm not going to suggest you some conversion therapy crap that is another way that the church has totally missed of like you need to change, you need to get this out of you, you have a demon. That's that's just totally it. It's like proven that it like never even works. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying like it's impossible for God to do something with your desires. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm not going to just like straight up lead with that's my suggestion. What you need to know is that the goal of the gospel is, is not to turn homosexual sinners into heterosexual sinners. The goal of the gospel is to make sinners righteous before a holy God. And they are never going to live that out perfectly this side of eternity. But they can through repentance and faith and obedience to the one who is king live a whole life and then stand before him someday totally white as snow, right? And so the, the goal of the gospel is to, to get the gospel to seep into your life so that you can live a holy, full, beautiful life as a same-sex attracted person, right? What will allow you to uh, have hope and, and purpose in this life is not the ever-changing truths that culture is going to pressure you to believe. That is not going to give you hope and purpose, I promise you can try it. You need to trust the eternal truths of the God who literally gave everything for you. Will you believe him? Will you trust him? I know it is hard for every single one of us, no matter what sin we carry. It's painful to give that sin up, but it is better. The call of the gospel is to turn from sin and obey Jesus, no matter what that is. Culture will tell you the only form of intimacy worth living for is sexual intimacy and that you can't be a whole person if you don't have that. Many of the heroes of Christianity, as I've already said, lived and died completely single without a single sexual experience, and they're reigning with King Jesus right now, loving everything that you're shifting in your heart to believe. Don't settle for a cheaper label like gay or bi or trans as like the primary identity that you carry when God is giving you a different one, and he wants you to wave that one as primary for every single person in this room, regardless of your sexual orientation and disposition and preferences. Okay, we love you. You're welcome at Saw Company. I want this to be a super friendly place for sinners, as I already said. And so I hope this gives you some encouragement as 
you know, whatever you struggle with, or whoever you know that struggles with whatever they struggle with, uh, again, we just want to start the conversation. So.